We're going to dive right into the Bible, to the book of Acts, as we've left off. And uh, for the past several weeks, we've been studying the great uh, messages and sermons in the book of Acts. And the reason is, is because these were the first messages often preached to new places uh, where they're hearing the gospel for the first time. They were preached both to the Jewish people who embraced God, uh, had the scripture, the Old Testament, understood it, um, but had not yet embraced or known Jesus as the fulfillment of those prophecies, as the promised Messiah. And so they came and proclaimed, Jesus is the one you've been waiting for. But then also these sermons that were preached to the Gentiles, the Greeks, the Romans, these people that didn't know God and uh, preached to them in a way that that, you know, for people that didn't have the scripture, uh, didn't, un, you know, were not uh, given these promises to their ancestors. And so they were uh, introducing God, number one, there, that there's one true God, because many of these people worshiped many gods, um, worshiping, uh, teaching them that there was one true God and that Jesus Christ was the exact representation of God, that Jesus Christ was the son of God that came, died for their sins, rose again, and now has been given the place to judge the world and that, that only through him and through his name is there salvation and forgiveness so that they can stand on that day of judgment, have confidence that their righteousness is from him. So these are really powerful messages and important for us today because the same truth that they testified of then is the same truth, truth that we're testifying today, that God is speaking to you. So a couple of weeks ago, as, as you know, last week we kind of took a break from it, but a couple of weeks ago was part one of what we're talking about today. So if you haven't seen that, if you haven't uh, listened to that, go back and check it out. If you weren't with us in person, go back and check it out because last uh, a couple of weeks ago we talked about uh, Paul and Barnabas, both at Lystra and then Paul in Athens, and these messages to Gentile people that uh, worshiped idols. In Lystra, uh, Paul and Barnabas saw this great miracle where a man who'd been crippled from birth uh, began to walk and leap, and uh, they, they uh, saw this great miracle, but the crowds responded by thinking that Paul was Hermes and Barnabas was Zeus, and they tried to offer sacrifices to them. And then a group of people that had been following Paul and Barnabas around for, uh, for a couple of different villages and towns and cities, uh, not in a good way, not good groupies, but groupies that wanted them killed, stirred up the city against them and had Paul stoned to the point of death, and God healed him, raised him up, and sent him right back into the city. So uh, we're at that place, and we're going to revisit that story where the people are trying to offer them sacrifices as if they're gods, and then we're going to revisit the story of Paul being in Athens and the sermon he preached there. So just to jog your memory, in Acts chapter 14, uh, at Lystra, a man has been healed. The crowd see it. They're amazed. They're blown away. But they think that Paul and Barnabas are a couple of Greek gods coming down um, and, and, and have worked miracles among them. So they try to offer sacrifices and worship them. The response of Paul and Barnabas is not to say, well, honest mistake. We'll teach them along the way. At least we've got their attention. Um, no, they, they, they get very disturbed by this. They rip their clothes. They run out into the crowd and say, stop it. Don't worship us. We're people like you. And uh, then they preach this message. So we're going to pick up in Acts chapter 14. And we're going to go to verse 15. As they're going out of the crowd, tearing their robes, saying, don't worship us. They said, men, why are you doing these things? 
We also are men, are human beings of the same nature as you. And we preach the gospel to you so that you can turn from these vain things and turn to a living God. So you're not just turning from something, you're turning to something. And that's not just a something, it's a someone. It's the living God. Not so important, it's gonna be important throughout uh, the rest of this message that they're telling them there is a living God. He's not a statue, he's not an object, he's not something you've made up. He is a living God, he's real, he, he, he knows you, he created you. And he says this, this is, this is how they're relating to these people. He says that this same living God made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that's in them. In the generations gone by, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways. And yet he didn't leave himself without witness in that he did good. He gave you rain from heaven, rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and with gladness. Even saying these things with difficulty, they restrained the crowds from offering sacrifices to them. So watch what he says. He says that, you know, you haven't known God. You haven't known the true God. You've, you've been chasing all these false gods and you've been using these idols to try to get to God. But he goes... Even though God let the nations go their own way, he allowed them for a season to, to, to go their own directions and go their own way. He didn't leave himself without a witness. Here's what's so fascinating to me as I go through all these messages and acts, whether he's talking, whether the apostles or the evangelists or whoever's preaching, whether they're talking to people that grew up knowing the Old Testament scriptures as, as Jewish people, or whether they're talking to people that have never heard of the Bible, never heard of Moses or Abraham or any of those people, whoever they're talking to, they go back and show that God has made himself known. They don't act like this is the first time you're meeting God or this is the first encounter you've ever had with God. They, they're aware that while you may not have encountered God in the way you're going to encounter him today, they're aware that God has made himself known to everybody, that, that everybody has a witness that there is a God. As the scripture says in Ecclesiastes, he has set eternity in their hearts. Everyone has eternity in our hearts. We have the knowledge that there's more than this. Now we're gonna read in Romans 1 in, in, in a little bit about how we've suppressed that truth with unrighteousness. We have tried to cram that down and maybe we've tried to convince ourselves 10 different ways, a million different ways that that can't possibly be true. It just doesn't make sense. Even to you, if you're a Christian today, even thinking about the infinite trips a breaker in your brain. Come on. You know that because we live in this created space, we live in uh, time, which is creation. We live in linear time um, and, and the complexities of that created time, that created structure. When we begin to think of the infinite, when we begin to think that there is a God who existed before time and will exist forever, he's always existed. The moment you think that God was not created, like that he's always existed, that, that'll instantly give you sort of a headache because you can't wrap your brain around it. We only understand things in linear time because that's all we've experienced. So our mind has a real hard time wrapping its head, wrapping itself around the idea of an all-powerful, uh, uh, all-knowing, always-existing God who has always existed and will always exist, that the only, thi the only thing in the universe that's never been created is God. God is the creator. And when you try to think of that, like it, you have no explanation for it.
But science can't explain how uh, the universe began out of nothing, how, how uh, you know, something always had to come from something, even if the idea is a primordial soup or the idea are, uh, is there stars that, that have exploded over here and this dust creates this. There always is the question, well, where did that come from? And as far as our science and our knowledge and our reasoning goes, there's never a complete answer to that because even if something came together to create what we know, that came, had to come from somewhere. So where did that come from? And the only, the only solution to that is to know that there is a being that exists outside of everything that's created. That the beginning point to everything is him. And he's the only thing, only being that has always existed. Now, now when you hear that, it doesn't make sense because you go, how can something have always existed? It had to come from somewhere. But think about it. If he's the only being that's always existed, everything else has been created. Science can't answer that question either. Well, something had to come from something. The only thing that makes sense is if there's a being that's outside of that reasoning. And that is God. And that's why he's separate from everything else. He has not been created. He is the creator. He has always been. And so when they begin to explain this, Paul and Barnabas know that these people have an understanding. Even though they've assigned various gods and goddesses to different things, and their version of, of God is, I mean, their gods are like, cheap versions of themselves are more powerful versions of themselves, but still wicked and corrupt. I mean, if you read Greek mythology, these aren't good people. Like they're not arbiters of good and, and truth. Like they're, they're cheating, they're lying, they're killing, they're doing all these things. And so they've created these, uh, these, these gods and goddesses, and maybe they put them over something or, and they've got an idea of where they came from. You know, they might have the titans that rule over the ocean far away, but they've got, you know, uh, Poseidon that rules over the sea, you know, or, or Apollos that's the god, the god of the sun. They've got these ideas of these different areas that these gods and goddesses oversee, but still there's a knowledge in them somewhere of a true god. Not these gods they've made up, but a true God. And Paul points this out and he says, you kind of have seen him before. You, you're, you're, there's something in you that's aware of him because he gave you good reign. He has not left himself. Listen to this. He has not left himself without witness. God showed himself in the creation around you, in the fact that you are alive right now. What Paul is doing is, is he's not speaking nonsense. He is pulling on something that's deep inside them. In every human being, there is a knowledge that there's more than this. We may have tried to suppress it. We may have tried to reason it away. But God has not left himself without witness. Watch what it says uh, later on when Paul preaches to the Athenians. He says this to them as he's standing on Mars Hill. As he's standing on the Areopagus. He says that... They've got this statue to an unknown God. Now, in reality, the Greeks are probably thinking like, let's just cover our bases. We have got all the gods we can think about, but maybe there's one we don't know. But they've also got this idea, and Paul talks about one of their own poets, one of their own prophets, as he calls it, that talked about a God that caused our existence. That They've got this idea that we don't know who he is, but there's something. And Paul uses that and says, what you've worshipped in ignorance without knowing, 
I am now declaring to you what you've not had words for, you've not had a definition for. I'm going to tell you who it is. And then he says this. He says to them that this God, in verse, this is Acts 17, verse 24, this God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and of earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. He says, for nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. So what he's saying is, even though you might think I'm talking about the God of the Israelites, I'm talking about the God of the Jews, I am talking about the God over all creation. He's the God that gives you breath right now. So you, don't, you think you don't know him. You think you've never encountered him. Like, like he came uh, to Greece for the first time with us. Like this is his first visit, visit to Athens. And he's saying, no, God is the one that gave you breath. God is the one that created you. You could not exist without him. So you may not know him, but he knows you. He says this. He says, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. So God beforehand knew when the Babylonian Empire would rise and the Persians and the Medes and the Greeks and the Romans, I mean, and, 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 and the, the Chinese and, and all of these different empires and the African empires that would rise, the Zulu nation, like all of these things that he knew before they ever knew him. He knew where they'd be. He knew when these nations would rise and fall and emperors, empires would rise and fall. And he says, here's the reason that he has appointed times and boundaries for them. He says, so that they, might, they would seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he's not far from each of us. Now, here's the thing. He says, he created them and he created them in such a way that they would seek God. He wanted people to search for him. Now, he says, if perhaps they might grope and find him. Now, the word grope is, is like somebody blindly groping in the darkness. It means that you are looking, you are searching with your senses. You, you can't see. So you're trying your best to find without seeing. What God did through Abraham was he gave light through the Israelites, through Abraham's descendants. He gave light that was meant to be a light to the nations around. He gave light to who he was. He revealed himself. And then to Moses, he revealed himself in an even greater way. And he said, I want you to know me by a name and by, by my name in a way that even your fathers didn't know. I want to reveal myself to you and to the people. And then he says to Abraham, he says, through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. He tells them later on through the prophets that, that he would send someone that would be a light to the Gentiles, a light to all nations, and that's Jesus. And what happens when the light comes on is you see the God you've been blindly groping for. Why would we blindly grope for a God that we don't even believe exists? Because as many times as we tell ourselves, he's not real. This is something they made up so that the kids behave. This is something that ancient cultures made up to explain uh, things they didn't understand. But now through science, we understand. If you think we understand everything through science, I love science. I am thankful for science. But we don't understand even, even a, a fraction of a percentage. Yeah, we, don't, we don't understand even a sliver of what there is to know about the created universe and the universe that's still expanding. 
And any scientist worth their salt will tell you that. We don't, we don't, what we don't know is far greater than what we do know. The word science just comes from the word for knowledge. It's just what we know or, or what we think we know. And the fact is, is that science, you can't be arrogant about it because the great thing about science is it changes all the time. It, as, we, as we learn new things, we go back and we correct our wrong theories. We, we correct the things that we had started to think were true. And, and then you build on that. And as much as it's helped us and we have the technology that we have and, and some of the helpful things that we have because of science, it's flawed in the sense that human beings can never know as much as God, like that we, we, we will always be searching and we'll never really get there without help. He says there's something in all of you that knows that there's God and so you've been searching, you've been groping for him and some of you are finding him. But he says he's not far from each of us. I just want to, to talk about that today, but how that sometimes when we talk to our friends and our family, we act like, we act like God is this foreign concept that they've never considered, they've never known, and maybe that's even what they believe, that this is totally foreign, this is weird, it's something I don't know, it's something I don't want to know, or it's something I want to know, but I've never encountered, but have you ever considered that every human being, God has given himself, given them a witness that he exists, that, that he's there, that hidden on the depths of each and every one of us, encoded into our very DNA, we know there's something beyond this. As it says, and we quoted earlier, that he has put eternity in our hearts. That somewhere in our stories, in every culture, there are stories that somehow these truths kind of crop up. Now, maybe they might be a little twisted, almost like a game of telephone. By the time you get to the 10th person in the circle, the, the story's gotten mixed, mixed up. But isn't it funny how many nations have stories of the flood or how many nations have an idea of a creator? And you might say, well, of course, they're trying to explain the natural world. But there are other things that are a little harder to explain similarities, things uh, that, that, that we're gathering from the world around us. The fact that when we look at the mountains, there is no biological imperative that says, I should look at the mountains and find them beautiful, and yet I do. I see something there that calls to eternity in me. I see something in creation that calls out things that I, and draws my attention to things that are beyond myself, at my own control. I feel humbled in the presence of this. He says, he's not far from each of you. He's not far from you. You've, you've known him even though you didn't know him. He's the one that gave you rain. He's the one that was good towards you when you, you didn't know he existed. He said, for in him we live and we move and we exist. You would not be able to breathe if not for God. You wouldn't exist without him. As some of even your own poets have said, for we are also his children. Being then the children of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and the thought of man. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to human beings, men, people, that all people everywhere should repent because he's fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, that's Jesus Christ, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. 
So he's saying, you guys know, even your own poets have talked about it, that in him, that we're his children. There's something in your culture that has already been aware that this this God exists. Every culture. Now, some cultures are closer, I think, than others. And I won't even, I don't even, I couldn't even tell you which ones are which, but I know some cultures have fallen so far uh, from that idea that we've been, we've been just just horrible and brutal. But every culture has fallen. And when we fall from God, we fall away from good and we fall into evil and hatred and wickedness. But God is calling to every nation, to every person, bringing that ministry of reconciliation, calling you back home. And that's the idea that I think a lot of us forget that God is calling people back, that these are people he created, that these are people that he has loved with an everlasting love. And he's drawing them with his loving kindness, as it says in the Old Testament, that God knows them even if they didn't know him. And that somewhere in there, God is calling to that deep place in them, saying, you haven't known me by name, but I've known you. What would happen if every conversation you had, you recognized that truth? Every time you you wanted to share Jesus with someone, you recognized that truth to start with what's already there, that what God has already planted, the seeds that God's already planted in them, that there is a God. See, from that truth that there is a God, everything else comes, that there is a creator. Everything else good comes from that. Conversely, everything bad and everything evil and twisted comes from a denial of the Creator. Here's what Romans 1 says, and this is a foundational, foundational truth. Romans 1 tells us this, that the wrath of God, this is verse 18, the wrath or the judgment against sin, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. We're suppressing the truth. We're trying to, we're trying to keep it down. We're trying to keep it from, from, from bubbling to the surface because that which is known about God is evident within them. I want you to hear that. Is evident within them. Every human being has something within us that knows God exists. Now, we may have spent our whole life trying to suppress it, but there's something there. He says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, creation, so that they are without excuse. Isn't that an amazing thought? As you look at the mountains, as you look at the sun, as you look at the trees, as you look at the animals, they're not God. Uh, they don't, they're not divine in and of themselves. No matter what somebody's told you, the trees aren't divine, the, the, the mountains aren't divine, the, the animals aren't divine. But they, they, they bear witness to the artist that created them. They bear witness to his nature. Look at this, his invisible attributes. The things you can never see about God, you can see in his creation, right? It's his art. You see the artist in his art. You see, when you look at the mountains, this is why that God uses these terms with his people. And he talks about like, I'm your rock, you know, or I'm, he talks about himself like a consuming fire or, or, or the streams of water. Like he's expressing himself through his own creation. Now it says this, it says we are without excuse. We can't say that we didn't know there was a God because he goes, All you had to do was open your eyes and see that there's a God. For even though they knew God, they did not, excuse me, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. 
and they became futile or, or foolish in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Let's stop there because amen is a good place to stop. He says the problem is it's that they knew God. All of our ancestors knew at some point, knew God, knew there was a God. But, but here's where humanity devolves is we knew God but we did not honor him. You see, part of knowing that there is a God is giving honor and worship to God. If there is a creator, he's worthy of worship. He's worthy of honor. And this is why I believe some, even cultures that don't, that, that, that don't haven't traditionally known God, haven't traditionally worshiped the, the one true God, haven't worshiped, haven't known God as expressed through his son. They, they at least are closer than others because there are still cultures on the world cultures around the world that at least acknowledge and honor a creator. And from that place, I believe that's a trace of light. Just like Paul looking at pagans, looking at uh, um, um, polytheistic cultures and saying, you guys are messed up, but at least you know there is a God. And I'm going to tell you what you've been searching for. And I just want you to hear this because I think this is what God so often brings us to a place in a conversation in a relationship, in our own lives where we say, there's something in you that already knows that there's a God. But you know, without definition, it doesn't do you much good. See, knowing there's a God, uh, this vague idea of a God, this, this, you know, blob somewhere, this idea, we have a tendency to imagine God the way we want to imagine him. What happens is, is when we imagine God, all we've got for reference are the things we see. Whether that's us making them in our own image like the Greeks and the Romans did, or like the animists, the, the, the uh, other religions that worshiped animals or spirits in the trees or spirit helpers, all these different things, they worshiped the created things. They, they, they prayed or sought power or help from the created things rather than the creator. All of it is the same problem in our modern age. Even if someone says, like we said two weeks ago, even if someone says, well, I don't worship any God. I don't believe in worshiping anything. I believe I'm the arbiter of my own destiny. I believe I'm the captain of my own ship. I don't believe there is a God. I don't believe in the supernatural. I believe in the world as we see it and know it. That person has still created idols that they give their strength to and they derive strength from that they put on a level of a God. They may never use the word God. They may never think they believe in a deity, but they are worshiping something, even if that something is self. I mean, if you look at Satanism, Satanism really isn't the worship of Satan. If you really study it, Satanists don't really even believe there is a Satan half the time. Satanism is really not a worship of, of Satan as described in the Bible. It's a worship of self. And here's the problem, is that self is the worst kind of God we could make. We are created in his image. We can't create him in ours. Romans 1 says that this is where everything goes downhill. When as a culture, 
we stop honoring God, when as people we stop honoring God, we devolve in our thinking. We devolve in our understanding. And thinking we're getting wiser, we get more foolish. Because any good scientist will tell you, if your data is wrong, your hypothesis will be wrong. If your hypothesis is wrong, your theory will be wrong. I mean, you can't, you can't, your experiment will be flawed, all these things. And you might say, well, that's why it gets fixed when you try to experiment. But the truth is, is that in our own reasonings, we tend to look at a failed experiment and explain why it is that way. And, and, and we reason it away. The failed experiment that is our life, the failed experiment that is our culture without God, without God, it goes downhill. Everything in our society has gone downhill when we deny the Creator. We become our own creators. We'll create based on our own truth. We'll create our own reality. We'll create our own identity when the very one who loved us enough to make us in the first place is calling you back home. I've loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I'm drawing you with my loving kindness. Have you considered that every human being on the planet has been knit together by God? Every human being on the planet was given breath by God. Every human being on the planet is known by God and loved by God enough that he would send his son the exact representation of himself to not only show them who he was and reveal himself to his creation, but to die in their place, to suffer for them so that they could be redeemed and brought back to life. And there's the gospel. That's why the gospel is not a message of a God that you've never met. It's the message of a God that you've forgotten, reconciling you as you come home. That's why the sheep are not called new sheep, although Jesus said there are sheep that are not of this flock, and I will call them, and they'll be part of this flock. And he was talking about the Gentile nations. But he also talked in Luke about lost sheep. Now, generally when he's talking about lost sheep, he's talking about the people of Israel the people that did know him, the people that were part of the covenant. But, but here, later on in the New Testament, he says, we were strangers to the covenants of promise. We didn't know God. We were without hope and without, without God in this world. But here's the deal. He brought those that were far off. And he brought them near by the blood of Jesus. I want to I propose to you that even though we were far off, we were never so far off that God didn't know us. We might not have known him, but he, he knew us. And there's something he's planted in us that says, you know I exist. You've been searching all your life to fill that spot that only I could fill. You've been searching all your life. Why is it that in every culture we seek out scapegoats? We seek out a place that somebody we can put our sin on. Somebody we can blame for all of this and put it on them and cast them out of society and say, there, we're absolved. Where did that come from? That came from the knowledge that we needed a scapegoat. We needed someone to bear the sin we could not take away because we couldn't deal with our own sin. We couldn't deal with it. The best we could do was cover it up. The best we could do was make the smell go away for a while, but we could never take it away. And that's why John the Baptist boldly proclaimed, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That was a message to the, to the Jewish people and they understood the reference. But I want to propose to you that every nation on the planet has an idea that that's necessary, that we could not cleanse ourselves as hard as we try. We needed someone to take the sin away. And why? Because the sin has separated us from God. 
somewhere on the inside of us we know we weren't designed to live separate from God. And maybe it's been so many generations of suppressing that that it's not even an accepted truth anymore. And it's foreign to us to hear it. But when Paul spoke to these two groups of people, he spoke to them as people that somewhere deep inside knew there was one God. And all it took was someone reminding them and telling them, the God you've never had definition for, I'm about to give you a clear definition for. I'm about to show you who Jesus is because if you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. As John said in John chapter one, no one has seen God. No one could understand him, but Jesus has explained him. Jesus showed us what he looked like. And I want to close with these thoughts that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. Second Corinthians chapter five. It says, for the love of Christ, this is verse 14. The love of Christ controls us having concluded this, that one died for all. Whether you're, whatever part of the world you're from, whatever background you're from, if you were raised in an, an atheistic, agnostic house, whether you were raised in a house that worshiped other gods, he died for you too. He died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves. That, that's those that have been brought back to life by his resurrection. It's those believers but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. So here's our mission now. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we've known Christ according to the flesh, yet we don't know him this way any longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things, these new things that came from Christ, are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Do you love that picture? That God is going and gathering the lost again. He's gathering the created, the creation that, that has been separated from him. That through Christ, all of creation will be reconciled to God. Now there's an order to it. We're the first. He will make a new heaven and a new earth. It'll all be redeemed. He said, I am making all things new again. But first, he's come for us, his prized creation. The only creation that bears his image. The only creation that he breathed breath into. Yes, every other animal has got breath in their lungs. They, they're able to, they've got life in them. God gave them life, but we are the only one that he gave a living soul to. And he's calling us home. And it is a, isn't it amazing to know that there's a God that's known you all your life? Even if you didn't know him, he knew you. And then he's calling to that deep place in you that, that, that knows there's an eternity, that knows there's a creator. And he's reminding you of things you didn't even know you knew. He's reminding you of something, that you weren't born for this world, that you were created for more, that you were not created to be separate from God, that there is a creator and he created you for good, that all of creation that you've looked at, you've marveled at, you've taken pictures of, and you've taken vacations to see, the reason you, you hold it in awe, the reason you look at it and say that sunset that is beautiful is because there's a part of you that, that, that is, is seeing something you can't identify. You are seeing a trace of who God is and it calls out to you. He says this, he's committed to us, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What is that ministry? It's namely that God was in Christ 
reconciling the world to himself, turning his enemies into his friends by his own sacrifice. He says, reconciling the world to himself on that cross, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us, he's entrusted to us the word, the message of reconciliation. Therefore, because of that, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He says, this is what God has called us to be. Agents, ambassadors for him that are carrying that message. Be reconciled to God. That's what Paul did in these Gentile nations. That's what, that's what the apostles and the evangelists and all these wonderful people did in the book of Acts when they preached both the Jews and the Gentiles. Was they reminded them of who they were. They reminded them of the God that maybe they knew or they thought they knew or maybe they never knew, but the God that knew them. They brought back something that probably was at the, bugged them at the back of their mind all their life. Something that kept tearing at the edges of their, of their own mind, of their own soul, of their spirit. You were created. And your creator knows you. And your creator is calling your name. What if we went out to the world with the knowledge that we are not the first ones to introduce God to the world? but that God has made himself known. And that every time, wherever we go, to ever, whomever we speak to, there is a trace of eternity that's already there. Books have been written about it, how every culture has a trace, that God has made, given himself a witness. Every culture has got something that is used as a bridge, that, that, that God is using as a bridge to say, you already have a hint of this, now let me show you who I am. And like we said last time, a couple weeks ago, that bridge that God used to bring them to him, you don't go and live on that bridge. That, that bridge was not meant to, it's not meant to hold the weight of your belief system. It, you can't live there. You can't go back there. You come to Jesus and you say, Lord, now that I know who you are, how do you want me to worship you? Not how do I tell you, oh, this is how I'm going to worship you. How do you want me to relate to you? How do you want me to worship you? But isn't it wonderful that it says our, our job is not to recreate the, or reinvent the wheel. Our job is to be an ambassador for Christ as though Christ were, as though God were making an appeal through us, be reconciled to God. That's an amazing thought that God is making his appeal through me. I, am, I, I feel so small in, in, in that. I, I feel so humbled by the fact that the God of all creation would use me to, to talk to someone and say, your creator that you, you barely know that maybe you are so far from has been calling your name and bringing you home. That's something I could say when I, when I preach his word and when you proclaim his word and when the gospel of Jesus Christ is preached that you're not starting the conversation. You're continuing the conversation that God's already began, that the Holy Spirit has planted seeds, that God has already given himself witness and evidence through creation, through what we've known, that, that every nation has been somehow seeking God out. And maybe they're very far from that truth, but nobody's too far that God can't bring them back. I want to leave you with that hope. Father God, would you bring us to the place where we know that you are the God who's been calling us. You knew us when we were, before we were ever even formed in our mother's wombs. You knew us. You knew our destiny. You knew our future, our past. 
And you still loved us. You loved us so much that you died for us. Lord, I pray that that love would control us. That love would cause us to go out of what we deem comfortable. The love would cause us to step out of what we think we have in common. That love would drive us to places where and people that we might not normally relate to with the love for them that you have. God, I pray that you would show us how to build a bridge that says, you may not know it, but you've been looking for this all your life. This is the God. What you've looked for in ignorance, what you've tried to fill, what you've tried to worship in ignorance, I'm about to declare to you. And we would preach Jesus. Lord, I pray that we'd not be ashamed of your name. We wouldn't just say God is an idea or some amorphous blob. We would proclaim you, Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, the only way to the Father. And that by your sacrifice and your resurrection, we are reborn and we are made righteous before God so that we can stand on that day of judgment without fear, without blame, not based on our work, but based on yours. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.